grab your Bibles if you have them, or if uh, you have a tablet or smartphone, you can go to uversion.com. And John chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. Now remember, we're in a sermon series called The Seven Things God Uses to Grow Your Faith. And what we're looking at is how in the context of a redeemed relationship, that God wants to work in your life to deepen your faith. He wants, to, he wants to stretch your faith. He wants to help you and I become more like Jesus. He loves us as we are. He receives us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He wants to do something great in us. And so the question is, well, how does he do that? And God works in lots of creative ways. And God does all kinds of things that would be surprising. But what I've found over the years of ministry is there are seven, oh, I'm going to call them primary ways, seven primary ways that God works in order to grow our faith. As way of review, and some of your first fill in the blanks, if you have your bulletin, you can flip it over on the back and fill in some blanks here. Here's where we've been so far. In any of these messages, you can go back onto the church website and listen to them, or if you use podcasts, you can use that. If you want to watch the message, you can go on Facebook and you can watch each Sunday's uh, sermon, each message. But we talked about two weeks ago how God uses relationships to grow faith. See, it's in the context of relationships where we often grow. And that's where we talk about small groups being so important. That when you're relating with people and you're interacting with people, that that becomes a way that God can work through those relationships to help us grow. So that's one way he helps us grow. A second, Pastor Tom last week talked about how God uses scripture to help us grow. That as you get into God's word and then God's word gets into you, it changes you. It changes you from the inside out. You're not the same person as you're spending time in Scripture. And so what we've been doing is that we've been talking about this is, is my encouragement to each one of us here, my, my double dog dare, if you will, is that in 2019, as we go through this series, that you would develop your own personal spiritual growth plan. Because I think, as I have mentioned a couple weeks ago, it would be a tragedy if in January of 2020 you are spiritually in the exact same place you are today. But rather that this year would be a year of growth for you. And so going through this series, we're trying to throw out lots of different ideas and ways that you can grow in your faith in 2019. So some ideas so far, we've talked about joining a small group, and you can still do that today. We've talked about a discovery class and the role that that plays as you get into scripture in a discovery class. We've also talked about last week another idea that, that you would uh, commit to this year with a hand illustration of hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating scripture. That you'd pick all of them, one of them, but just start somewhere and just start getting God's word into you. That's a good goal. And so as, you, as we're exposing ourselves to these things, that you begin to pick and choose what you want to build as your own spiritual growth plan. Today we've got a couple more to add to that plate. But here's our big topic for today. Our big topic for today, your next fill in the blank, is this. That God uses your tears to grow your faith. God uses your tears to grow your faith. And I want to give you this morning's big idea just right up front. Here it is, and, and, and you may not like it. In fact, in some ways it's very challenging, but it's this. is that the Lord will allow painful circumstances in your life in order to grow your faith. Did you catch that? Let me say it one more time. God will allow painful circumstances into your life in order to grow your faith. And as I just mentioned, that's a challenging statement. And in fact, there are plenty of people, and people I know and I've interacted with, and it's the same with you, and maybe it is you, where this very idea about the character of God is, is, is frustrating and enough to where a person will say, you know what, if that's the way God works, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And they walk away. And I, in my own life, and to be very transparent, going through some things personally right now, not connected to the church, but just some things in my own life, and, and this idea is difficult. 
it's that wrestling of, okay, God, if this is your character, and this is how it works, that you'll allow this in my life and the stuff that you're going through in your life because you want to grow faith. It's true, but it doesn't make it always easy. It can make it really, really challenging. Because if I'm fully honest, I want the growth without the tears. I want the deep faith, to, and I want to circumvent the hard stuff. That's what I want. And maybe you feel the same way. And it's not that only God only uses tears, but he does use our, our tears, our hard times, our sufferings to grow our faith. I mentioned John chapter 11, so hopefully you're there by now. If not, you can just follow along on the screen behind. And uh, we're going to take in a story of Jesus' life, and it's a lot of scripture. And so for some of you, this is going to be a, you're kind of hearing this for the first time story, and I hope you're just captivated, and you'll follow right along. For others of, of us, you, you've known the story, you've read the story, and so I just want to encourage you just to approach it with some fresh ears. And we're going to pause along the way and make some observations, but there's some significant things that happen here, and there's some significant lessons we can learn from this passage. So let's go ahead and jump in together. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now notice that Lazarus, who's, who's obviously sick, and Mary Martha send word to Jesus. He's called the one you love. That's the introduction. And as we're going to see even later on, Jesus and Lazarus knew each other. They were friends with each other. And so you would think, because Jesus healed lots of people he didn't personally have a relationship with. And so the assumption is, and maybe one that I would have, is that certainly he would heal Lazarus, wouldn't he? Because they're friends. Why wouldn't he? And so it makes what happens next particularly surprising. Let's keep going, verse 4. So when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So, so in other words, Jesus is saying that his intention was to bring God glory. That, that means to, like, to spotlight God, to put God on display. That he was going to use this situation to glorify God. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now if you're reading this, I think a great question is, what? <laughs> what? I mean, why, why would you do this? Jesus gets word, Lazarus is sick, and then Jesus makes the conscious decision to stay put for two days. And of course the question is why, which we'll get to in just a moment. And in this, but, but in this scene, like, I, I don't know what Jesus was doing for those two days, but I do have a hunch what Mary and Martha were doing. They, see, they, they, were, they were watching Lazarus suffer in sickness. They, they were watching him hurt. And then I, I imagine, as I read this, that they were watching down the road to see, is Jesus coming? Martha, you go check this time. Mary, you go check this time. Every hour upon the, I mean, is he, is he coming? It doesn't take this long to get from where he's at in Judea up here to Bethany. Where is he at? And then they watched him die. Those two days were packed with suffering. Those two days were drenched in tears. That's the reality. And Jesus, by delaying two days, allowed that scene to take place in Bethany. 
Can't say it any other way. So it raises the question, why would he do that? Why would Jesus respond this way? Well, we get answers to this question as we continue reading. Let's, let's continue on. We're in verse 8 now. But Rabbi, they said, these are the disciples now, a short while ago, the Jews there, there in Bethany, tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Verse 12. His disciples replied, now this is going to be a classic case of misunderstanding in a conversation. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so he then told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And then verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, let's push pause here real quick. This is an interesting conversation. Again, misunderstandings. Is he sleeping? Is he dead? Jesus just comes in plainly. He's like, no, he's dead. And then you got the whole dynamic of going to Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem, the epicenter of where Jesus is hated. And so they tried to assassinate him the last time he was there. So the disciples were like, we don't want to go. Can we put a vote? Can we do that, Jesus? Jesus like, no, we're going. And then you got Thomas, the biblical Eeyore, who's like, well, Lattice is death, like dead, why don't we all just die? How about that, you right? And so you've got this just weird, awkward conversation going on here. But underneath it all here, it raises the question, why now? Like, Jesus, we all know you got word about this two days ago. But now he's dead. Wasn't, shouldn't we have gone two days ago? Like, why are we going now? It makes no sense. And we're putting ourselves in harm's way. The whole scene is a little bit kind of crazy. But here's the key. Go back to verse 15. Because here's the part I really want us to grab a hold of this morning. Look again at this verse. Verse 15, it says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that, here's the key, you may believe. Believe meaning trust in. Faith. So that you may believe. See, Jesus is saying here to his disciples, he says, look, I'm glad I was not in Bethany uh, while Mary and Martha and Lazarus suffered. And then Lazarus, of course, eventually died. Not because he didn't care. And not because he even liked the idea of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus suffering. That, that's not why he said that. He said that rather for the sake of the disciples. Please catch this. I'm going to say this twice, in fact, I think this is so important. See, the lesson that Jesus is about to teach the disciples and the glory of God that Jesus is about to display to the disciples as well as others was so important, it was worth the tears. Did you catch that? The lesson, I'm going to say it again, the lesson Jesus is about to teach the disciples, and by extension, to all of us in this room, and the glory of God that Jesus is about to display through what he's going to do, and nobody has any idea what Jesus is going to pull off here. But that was so important that it was worth it to allow Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and maybe others there in Bethany to suffer 
those two days. It was worth it. That's a huge idea. That's a huge idea in your life as well. Because here's the idea. So, so you may be thinking to yourself, so, so pastor, what you're saying then is that to God, my faith in him is so important that he would allow me to hurt and suffer and go through hard times in order to build, deepen, and strengthen my faith. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That, that, that faith is so important to God that he would allow me to go through things that are, that are horrendous? The answer is yes. Your faith, your trust in God, the depth of your trust in God is so important to him that he will allow seasons of tears because he wants to do two things. And this is his character you can take to the bank every single time. He wants to develop your faith and glorify himself. Those two things working together every single time. And, and everything I'm talking about, I am fully aware that this idea, that, that there could be, it, it is in total opposition, total opposition to everything we want to believe about God. If our view of God is that it's his job to keep us safe, healthy, happy, and out of harm's way. If that's our picture of God's role in our life, then this very idea of what I'm talking about is in complete opposition to that. And I recognize that. So it comes back to how do we view God? Who is he? And, and what kind of a God here that your faith and trust matters so much to him that he'll allow you to go through experiences that you wouldn't otherwise choose and he doesn't otherwise enjoy, but the end result is good. This is an important idea. God will use your tears to grow your faith. Let's see how this plays out. Let's continue on, verse 17. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do, do you hear in there just that soft, that subtle, where were you? Where were you? Almost that slight underlining, it's kind of your fault, Jesus. You didn't show up. Where's the hero? Where's the rescuer? Where's the, the deliverer? Where's the savior? I mean, you, you didn't show up. At least not like I thought. And, and so she, she, she has this, this real life human emotion. And it highlights that when we go through hard times, it can be easy to blame God. It can be easy to say, God, you've, you've disappointed. I don't understand up to this point what you're doing. Let's keep going. Verse 22. But she continues on. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in or trusts in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in or trusting in me will never die. Do you believe this? What is Jesus doing here? He's doing exactly what he said out to do. He is trying to build her faith. That was verse 15 again. And as he's doing this, notice what he's doing. He's taking Martha's picture of who Jesus is and he is stretching it way beyond what she ever thought. So here this idea of, you know, we say it at funerals, oh yeah, they'll rise again. There'll be this future event and, and that's fine and that's right. And yet Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. It's not that I can do the event of a resurrection. It's that I am the resurrection. It's all me. And she, he, again, he's stretching her picture of who he is. And it highlights that sometimes even for us, we, our picture of Jesus is too small. We kind of put him in a little box and we think he's kind of like this and, and we live our lives in a comfortable way of Jesus and Jesus continually keeps knocking that over in our lives and say, I am so much bigger than who you think I am. And so that requires that your trust and your faith continue to expand so that you can understand and trust and believe in who I say I am. That's his goodness at work and here he's doing it for Martha, stretching her. Verse 27, let's continue on. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. As an aside, the very same words her sister Martha had said just moments earlier. This is where they're at. This is the question these two sisters are wrestling through. This is what they're struggling with. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply Moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, in a famous, the shortest verse of the New Testament, Jesus wept. And so that you can picture the scene here going on. The Greek for that word, Jesus wept, is the idea of, of, of crying, but it's in silence. It's silent crying. This is what Jesus is doing. And it's quite the contrast between the scene going on. Because you have all these professional mourners and, and family and people. And the Greek word for that is wailing and yelling and carrying on. It's, it's a vocal scene. This is a loud, emotional scene. And then Jesus, in all tenderness and submission and quiet, I mean, he feels it deeply, but he's, the tears are flowing. He cares. He cares about the scene going on. Verse 36, and then the Jews said... See how he loved him. Jesus loved Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, a lot of emotion here in this scene as Jesus is shedding his own tears. Let's continue on, verse 38. Then Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, or prayed, 
Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's amazing. An amazing scene so far beyond what anybody in that moment expected to happen. A resurrection. Here we see in striking display God's glory and the growth of the faith of the people at that day, at that scene. One of which was John, whose words we're reading. He never forgot that moment. See, Jesus set out to accomplish two things. Remember I said this earlier, the tears are worth the lesson, the lesson of growing faith and seeing God's glory. And here we see Jesus accomplish this. One last verse, verse 45, before we begin to close this morning. It says, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed or placed their trust in him. This is tremendous. In fact, if you continue to read on, it says that so many people were putting their faith because of this scene into Jesus that the Pharisees ratcheted up their plan to kill him. Because it was, it was, it was, just, it was just like spreading like wildfire around and people coming to Christ. Again, God will use your tears to build your faith and to glorify himself. It's that key reminder that he will do this every time because he's good and it's his character. And so as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want to close with a question. And the question is this, when, not if, because it will happen, when you go through a hard time, and when you're in a situation in life that's marked by tears, why is it that some lean into God, but others push away and walk away? Why is it that some lean in and trust Him more, and trust God to do something very special in their lives, and their faith grows, and yet others, they, they don't? They throw their hands up and they say, no, no thank you, and they walk away. Like, what, what's the difference? I want to close with this idea and answering this question, because while there may be lots of different distinctives for why people do this in their lives, I think over the years I've seen two. And I want to use these two, two principles, if you will, to hopefully encourage you as we close this morning. If you're in a place where the tears are flowing, just remember, you're not alone and you're not unique. We live in a fallen and broken world. Tears are not evidence against God, nor diminish his character in any way. So when the tears are flowing, not if, but when, whether you're in it today or you'll be in it tomorrow, whatever the case may be, what makes the difference for how you respond in those places? Here's the first one, your next fill in the blank, it's this. I have found over the years, it's the people that are walking with you. That makes all the difference in the world. It's the people that are walking with you. And so when we go through hard times, it highlights that you and I, we need people, mature people, spiritually mature people to walk alongside us to help us through it. Which is why we talk about relationships so much and we talk about small groups so much. It's why it's important that we don't just attend church, we are the church. And we play this role for one another in our lives. This is, this is what it is. Because here's the difference. Here's the difference. In my life, and it's true in your life as well, I need people in my life when I'm going through hard times like I am now, I need people to help me frame the pain. 
Do you catch that? Frame the pain. I need somebody in my life to give me perspective. Because it is easy for me, and maybe it is for you too, to go down the rabbit hole and all of a sudden my mind goes crazy and I run here and I run there and I question God and I think this and I don't believe the best in my wife Laura and I do this and I do And all of a sudden I just go into crazy places. But I need somebody in my life, I need people in my life to help me frame the pain to understand both what's happening and what God is up to and to remind me of who he is. That's true for all of us. We absolutely need that. Which again is why small groups are one way that happens. That you be a part of a community. That as you walk through life together, as you go through the good times and the bad times, that there are people there to help you frame the pain. One type of small group, I want to take a moment and highlight, you'll see the picture there is grief share. And we've talked about this off and on here for about a month or so. And I fully acknowledge this group is not for everybody. But if you're here this morning and the reason the tears are there, the grief is in place, is because you've lost a loved one. And we did the Tree of Hope in December, Christmas time, and we had the bulbs up there and people coming for prayer and prayer requests. It became very clear that there are a lot of folks that are suffering through grief. I want to give you a special invitation this morning. An invitation to join a small, supportive, small group community to walk with you during this season of your life to help you frame the pain, to help you get God's perspective on it, and to heal. Uh, Grief Share is a 13-week experience where we go through, and, and, and my wife and I will be facilitating this, and we, we watch uh, videos to help us learn. We have a workbook. We, we share what's going on in our lives. We share our experiences and what we're facing. And, and here's what I know. I know well, I know two things. One is, is it's not healthy to stuff the tears. It's not. We need a place where we feel safe to get that out. And the second thing I know is that if you have the courage to opt in, that after 13 weeks, you won't be in the same place you might be today. That God's going to use it in your life in a powerful way. So if this is you this morning, I just invite you on the connection card. Just simply just check that box, Grief Share. And this week, I'll be reaching out to you. Again, my wife and I are leading it. And, and we would love to reach out and to invite you into it and, uh, and get us going. We start on February 3rd, so there's plenty of time to get, answer questions and get you going. Or even check the box if you just have questions I'd like to know more about. Because maybe it's not you, but you know somebody else in the community that uh, might be struggling with something like this as well. So, so, so that's don't go through it alone. The people who walk with you make a difference. And as we wrap up, here's the second difference I've observed over the years. The second difference in your next fill in the blank is this. That when you go through hard times, it's your view of God that makes a significant difference how you respond. It's how you view him. And specifically what I mean is this. That if you're going through a time of tears, if, you, if your perspective is one that you believe in that moment that God is doing something to you, you're likely to struggle in your faith. But rather, if you believe not that God's doing something to you, but that he's doing something in you so that he can do something through you, you're likely to lean in and trust him. Did you catch the difference? Because see, the first one is that God is striking me. God is getting me. God is punishing me. I did something when I was 10, stole a snicker bar, and I'm paying for it when I'm 30. It must be it, God. It's just who you are, right? I mean, you're out to get me. Lightning bolts are flying. Don't stand by me because this is who, that's not who God is. That is not who God is at all. Jesus took the punishment. The consequences of sin still remain, but that's not his character whatsoever. And so that we go through experience, we don't think God's doing something to me, but rather in me so he can work through me. It changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. 
And so I want to share with you something I've been doing. It's just another action step idea for you uh, these last couple of weeks that have helped me personally. And that is as you're praying, that you pray this short little prayer. Here it is. God, I need to see you in this. That's it. If you're going through something with work, God, I, <laughs> I need to see you in this. Something in relationships. Are you here? God, I need to see you in this. If, if it's health, if it's, if it's relationships, if it's, if it's work, I mean, whatever these categories, that whatever it is you're facing today, that you would pray, God, I need to see you in this. And this is not a prayer of demanding of God. This is simply a prayer of saying, God, I have expectation that you're going to show up in a special way. That you may be delaying two days or two months or two years and working the way that I think you're going to work. But I'm still trusting you're going to work. God is rarely early, but he's never late. It's trusting God in his timing. That, guys, you're going to show up and do a good work in your way and in your timing. And while all that is different, because you don't quite understand how God's at work in your tears and your situation, you can still guarantee and hang on to that whatever it is God's up to, it's going to, if you will allow it, build your faith, and it's going to glorify himself. And that's worth the tears. I hope you agree and believe that. As we close this morning, here's, here's what I want to do. Uh, um, we're going we're gonna to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. And so ushers, you can begin to get ready. This is also the time that we'll uh, receive, collect the connection card. So if you haven't had a chance yet to fill that out, uh, you can do that. On the back side, I mentioned earlier, on the back side, there's a place for prayer requests. So if we can be praying for you, uh, our prayer team during the week, uh, please uh, go ahead and fill that out. And uh, you're going to notice the worship team coming up as they will here uh, shortly. But, but um, when the offering is taking place, I'd like to invite you and ask that you just stay seated. And we're going to worship. We're going to worship in two ways. We're going to worship in giving, but we're also going to worship in song. We're going to play a song, and maybe it's one you've heard before. And for some of you, I want to invite you, you can sing, uh, but maybe for some of you, you just need to take in the words, because the words connect to what we've been talking about this morning. But maybe for others of you, it's just in, in taking some time, and for you and God closing your eyes and just talking to Him. And say, God, this is where I'm at. And maybe you start praying the prayer of, God, I need to see you in some situations in my life. It's your space, it's your time to begin to do that. So let me pray for us. The worship team will come up and then the ushers can come as they're ready. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to be reminded that you use tears. And I, for one, wish there was a different way, but I also am so thankful that the tears are not wasted. And I thank you, Father, that no matter where we're at this morning... And I know a room this size, there's, there's people going through some really hard things, some scary things. But Father, I pray, and I pray with full confidence because of your character and what we've learned through Scripture this morning, that no matter what each person here is facing, that if we will allow, you want to deepen and strengthen faith, trust in you, and you want to do something that glorifies you in an amazing way. And so Father, this morning we hang on to that. We thank you for that. And Father, we praise you for how you're going to work. We thank you as well for how you'll use this offering to further your work here at New Hope, in Adel, and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name.